pray for us, I might just pray for myself as we, um, as we start. Jesus, thank you so much for today, and I just pray that you would um, speak to us, that you would just um, yeah, enlarge our vision of who you are, of what your kingdom is about, and like, who you've called us to be. This morning, I pray. Amen. Um, I don't know if you've heard the kind of story, I, it's almost certainly not real, but um, let's pretend it is. Um, there was three builders, they're all building a wall, and someone goes up to each of them and chats to them, and they come to the first person, and the first person just looks a bit like, oh, you know, a bit depressed, a bit kind of, you know, they're slow in their movement, it's, it's laboured, it's difficult, and they speak to them and say, hey, what are you doing? And the person says, I'm, I'm just putting bricks on top of bricks with cement, just putting bricks on top of bricks with cement. And they say, well, why? Why are you doing that? You know, it's a living, isn't it? It keeps me busy. Like, someone said they'd pay me for it. Um, I hadn't got any other options. Anyway, the person then goes on to the second per- builder and says, well, what are you doing? And this builder looks a little bit more energized. You know, they've got a bit more about them. And, um, and they say, oh, well, I, I'm building a wall. I'm really good at building walls. Like, I enjoy building walls. And so like, this job came up to build walls. And so I thought, well, yeah, I'll go for that. I-, I-, I can do that. I can build walls. It kind of keeps me busy. And if I'm going to have to be- earn a living and have to be kept busy, I might as well do something I enjoy. Anyway, the, the person moves on to the third person. And the third person's like building ferociously. They- they've got this like, gleam in their eye, this smile on their face as they're doing it. And they go to the third person, they say, the third builder, and say, what are you doing? And the third builder turns around and he says, I'm building a great cathedral. I'm building this like, masterpiece of architecture, this incredible architect. Sir Christopher Wren came along and he showed me these plans. And they're amazing, they're elaborate. I'm building an icon, I'm building a piece of history. I'm building something that's going to cause people's eyes to look to God. Three people doing the same thing but with a completely different motivation and perspective and therefore kind of energy about them. Why? Because they had a difference in the vision of what, what they were doing. The, the, the third person had this like, bigger story, this bigger narrative that what they were doing was part of. And we're starting a series today that is on work. We're calling it Work, Sleep, Repeat. Um, and, and I think work can often feel a bit like this. And when I say work, I want to kind of define that as expansively as possible. Work is what you do with your nine to five, but work is also what you do when you're tending your garden or keeping your house. Work is also what you do when you're raising your children. You know, work is, is not just this kind of narrow thing that you get paid for. It's way bigger than that. It's, you know, the ways in which we kind of take, I guess, the raw materials of this world in some way, shape, or form and form them into something else. We all work every day. We spend the majority of our time doing it. I think, I, I don't know, for, for many of us, work just quite quickly just becomes drudgery. It's just routine. It's just work, sleep, repeat. Work, sleep, repeat. It's this thing we do because we have to, because it's a necessity of existing in this world. But, and, and it's you know, a means to earn a living. And, and maybe if we're lucky, we've found a means to earn a living or, or we do work that we enjoy, that we kind of find fun, because if you're going to have to do it, you may as well do something you enjoy, but it kind of is no more than that. And the question I want to ask, and we want to ask over these next four weeks, is, is there a bigger story? Is there a bigger story that actually our work on this earth plays a part in? And how then does that change how we work in this world? 
I want to um, begin at the beginning, quite literally. Um, if you've got a Bible, do open one, but this will be on the screen. Um, we're going to look at Genesis. If you haven't read Genesis, it's the first book of the Bible. The first few chapters kind of are just so infused with meaning, like so infused with like so much. Um, it's the story of creation, of, of, of kind of what is it that this thing that God has made, what's it about? Anyway, I'm going to read from uh, Genesis 1, uh, verse 27. It says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let's pause there a second. So God created humans, like you and me, in his image. The Hebrew word there, salem, sometimes translated idol, sometimes translated image. What does it mean for God to make us in his image? If we kind of wind back to ancient Near Eastern times, um, first of all, like, nobody, everybody believed in God. Like, whether the question, does God exist, is a modern question, if you look at history. Everyone believed in God. The question wasn't whether or not you believed in God, it was what God do you believe in? And many people um, would form kind of images of the God they believed in. Sometimes we call them idols. And what an image was, or what this kind of idol was, is it was, it, it was something that was sort of to depict the deity. But they didn't believe it was the deity, but they believed it contained something of the essence of the deity in it. But, and they believed a bit more than that. They believed that this image was something that the God would accomplish his work, make his kind of authority manifest on this earth through. Um, if you look at kind of ancient Mesopotamia, uh, they had kings. And the kings of ancient Mesopotamia referred to themselves as gods, as the image of gods, they were called. You know, they, they, they were kind of these people who ruled over the earth. They were gods. They ruled over the earth. And they would put these statues of themselves, or these selems, of themselves around the kingdom where they were. Uh, it was kind of almost like a, a statue that was like this you know, this king's authority is manifest in this place. This king is in charge in this place. And they put the statues around the place to signify that. And so what does it mean for us to be made in the image of God? Well, it, it means that we're those who are made in, in his likeness. But it means more than that. It means that we are those through whom he has chosen to do his work on this earth. We're those who are created as humans to be those who join in with God in making his authority manifest on this earth. What does that look like? We read on. It says, verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You know, so we're made in his image and then we're commissioned. What does it look like to make the authority of God kind of manifest on this earth? Well, we're called to be fruitful, to increase in numbers, to subdue the earth, to fill it, to kind of rule over it. What does that mean? What does it mean to kind of rule? Why? Like rule over the earth? And subdue it. That feels like an odd word. Why would the earth need subduing? Let's wind back to the very, very beginning. First two verses of um, Genesis. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It says, Now the earth was formless 
and empty. The Hebrew there, tohu avahu, I love the way that um, Tim Mackey translates it. He translates this and said, it's like wild and waste. It was this kind of chaotic nothingness. This chaotic nothingness. There's a kind of pre-creation sort of state described here of chaotic nothingness. And it says, um, darkness was over the surface of the deep. Where there's darkness, there's chaos. Nothing can exist in darkness. If you walk around in darkness, you, you walk into something, you fall over it. It's disordered, it's chaotic. And it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The waters, again, in ancient Near Eastern culture, this, this symbol of chaos. You know, the sea is this uncontrollable, untamable thing. Where the sea, kind of the waters cover the whole earth, there's just chaos. Nothing can live, nothing can exist. And so, what happens next? What, what happens next, and what I would argue the creation story really is, is it's a story of God creating order out of chaos and creating a place for humans to live with him. You know, he takes this kind of chaotic darkness and he creates light and he separates the light and the darkness and creates night and day, creating order out of chaos. He takes these chaotic waters and he separates them and he creates land, this habitable space where humans can live. He creates order out of chaos. You know, he takes this land which is just void of anything and, and fills it with plants and with trees and with things of beauty and with fruit that's good to eat and with life and, and you know, vibrance. You know, again, creating order out of chaos. God is on a mission. Like He's creating order out of chaos. And he commissions us here as his creation to continue his work to continue his work of creating order out of chaos. And we see this a bit later. You'll know, um, many of us, the, the famous story of Adam and Eve. And park for a minute, questions of, is, you know, is it figurative, is it real? Like, um, this doesn't change anything. Um, so I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Adam and Eve are, are placed in this garden. And what is the garden? It's this place of vibrance. It's like, you know, they live in harmony with one another. They live in harmony with God. You know, they're naked. And that's a symbol of kind of that there's no, um, you know, there's no separation. There's no hiddenness. And there's no shame. There's just this peaceful, amazing relationship between the humans and the garden. And they're naked before God, and God walks amongst the garden. They've got this perfect relationship with God. It's this space where humans thrive with one another and with God. And it's this place of beauty and plenty. And there's fruit, and there's these streams, and it's this just idyllic kind of perfect place, this perfect place. But I don't know if you've stopped to think about this. Eden is a place. Like Eden is geographically located in the Bible, which means this. Eden wasn't the whole earth, which means something existed outside of Eden. What existed outside of Eden? Answer. Chaos chaos. And so God creates humans and commissions them and says, subdue the earth. Why? Because it hasn't yet been completely subdued. Rule over the earth. Why? Because there is a need to make his rule manifest. And so these early humans are called to kind of create order out of chaos and to kind of extend the boundaries of Eden creating a habitable space where humans can live with one another and with God in this perfect harmony. And what does that mean? It means that we're, 
We're called and created to build civilization, to build culture, to build homes and places where people can dwell in safety, to, to create a world where we can live in harmony with one another and with God, to make something of this earth, to, to start up companies that work for the betterment of society, to develop technologies that benefit the world around us and kind of join in with God's creative work of subduing this earth and making it a place where order is created out of chaos. We live in a world where there is a lot of chaos. And God calls us as his people to join in with his work in the world in creating order out of chaos, creating a place where we can live in harmony with one another and with God. And so here's the thing. I don't know what you do with your life. Um, Maybe you're a lawyer and you think, well, you know, it pays quite well. Um, But it's just, you know, I just kind of do contract litigation. No, you don't just do contract litigation. You are working for a more just and fair society. You are doing God's work of creating order out of chaos, of creating a, a world where we can live in harmony with one another and with God. You know, maybe you're a parent and, and, and you know, you, you're up all hours and, you know, kids drive you around the bend at points and you're constantly sowing time into them. Like, you're, you're not just parenting. You're doing God's work. You know, you're raising children, you're building character in them, you're raising them into people who can make a positive contribution in this world and become those who can join in with God's creative work of creating order out of chaos. You're not just doing work, you're doing God's work. Maybe you um, garden professionally or just as a hobby. You're taking the raw materials of this earth and you're reshaping them into something of greater beauty. You're quite literally, if my garden is anything to go by, creating order out of chaos, creating a beautiful, habitable space. Maybe you're an artist or maybe you're a musician. You're taking these kind of random colors and notes and you're ordering them in a certain way to create something of beauty that people can enjoy that people can marvel in, that people can um, you know, revel in the creative goodness of God in. You're not just doing music. You're not just doing art. You have an opportunity to join in with God's work. It's God's work. Maybe you're a cleaner, and you're just there scrubbing the urinals, and it's pretty dull work. But you're making, you know, you're making a more um, clean space for people to work within a space that people can thrive and they don't come in, it's disgusting, and you're, you're creating order out of chaos. You're create, joining in with God's work in the world. Maybe you, you know, you're doing a, a really dull admin role for a pointless company, like maybe the left-handed hammer company, right? They don't need to exist. What are they doing? You know, but it was the only job you could get, and you're like, so you had to take it because you need to earn a, a living for your family. Like, and so it feels pointless. How could that be God's work? Well, when you work in that space to, to administer that company as best as you possibly can and to help others in that company kind of thrive in their roles as you well administer it, as you sit on reception and as people come in and you're, you're a presence of joy in this kind of culture that's maybe a bit toxic and negative, you are doing God's work. You are creating order out of chaos. You are extending the boundaries of Eden in this world. You're not just doing God's work. Uh, You're not just doing work, you're doing God's work. I think so often we can see what we do as just pointless. It's just a means to an end. But actually, when we turn our work towards this kind of end of 
creating order out of chaos, of pushing the boundaries of Eden forward, of, of, of working to make a world where humans can live in greater harmony with one another and with God. You're not just doing work, you're doing God's work. And yeah, we have a choice that you know, we, we can choose to work for our own selfish gain and greed, but we can within our, our work, whatever that is, whether it's finance, administration, parenting, keeping the house, volunteering in the organization we help out with for a couple of hours on a Tuesday, we have an opportunity to join in with God's work in the world. It's not pointless. It's part of a bigger story. It's part of the creation story. We are joining in with God's work as his image bearers. It's not just work. It's God's work. My sense, though, is that often... This vision is something we lose. Work becomes work, sleep, repeat. Work becomes drudgery. Work becomes dull because we lose sight of that bigger vision. And I think there's, there's two things, two traps, if you will, that I think we can fall into that I kind of just want to frame up because I think they're traps that kind of rob us of this vision and turn work back into pointless drudgery. And I think Jesus wants to expand our vision of how he wants to use us in this world, of seeing all the things we can join in with is spiritual, not just ministry, but everything as an opportunity to do his work in this world. The first trap is this. It's what I call the impact trap. And the impact trap runs a bit like this. Oh, well, I don't really think that what I'm doing makes much of a difference. You know, I, I, it doesn't seem to matter. I'm, I'm just doing something a bit boring or anodyne or, um, you know, who, who cares? Like, it, and we measure what we're doing based on how much impact it has. And generally, impact, we measure on two things. We tend to measure impact and get a sense of our impact from the amount of applause we get and the difference we see we're making. You know, if people are kind of like quite literally applaud you or, you know, be like, oh, that's so great that you're doing that, or, you know, talk about what it is that you do in a positive way, we think, oh, I'm making an impact. If we can tangibly see the difference we make, we can sort of see we're making an impact. And so if you're in, for example, healthcare, I think it's a bit easier to kind of keep this vision because you know, people will quite literally applaud you. I mean, quite literally in the past year. And, and rightly, you know, it's, we love our health service. It's great work. Um, but people will quite literally applaud you for that. And you will see tangibly, hopefully a lot of the time, the difference you make because people get better. The thing is, there's loads of things which are 100% God's work but you won't see the difference and no one will applaud you. Banking, I'm going to go there, is just as much God's work as healthcare. But I think, you know, many of us view banking as this kind of a grubby, horrible thing that's done by basically just evil people and that can't possibly be God's work. But it can. When we work in the banking sector for the good of all and not just ourselves, you know, when we work to create you know, financial stability in this world, we are doing God's work. Frankly, if the economy goes at the pan, everything else is going to go down. Like, you know, if we had more people working towards this vision at the time of 2008 and the banking crisis, it wouldn't have happened. But if you're working in the banking sector, probably you don't really talk about it much in church because people sort of vaguely, you know, sort of scowl and think, oh gosh, really? Banking? Oh dear. Like, no one's going to applaud you for it. And it's probably difficult to see the difference you make because you're just one person working in a, you know, in a big field and there'll be plenty of greedy people at it who aren't you know, seeking to kind of do God's work but just seeking to do their own. And so you probably won't see the difference. You know, maybe you're a parent. My word, you don't get applause for being a parent, right? 
It's your own fault you had kids. You know? <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Like, no one's going to applaud you. You're probably not going to see the difference a lot of the time. Because your kids will be difficult and they'll get stuff wrong because they're children, they're learning. It's a development, isn't it? The only way you'd see the difference if you stopped parenting and that's just immoral. No one's going to do that. So you won't see the difference, you won't get the applause, but that doesn't mean it's not God's work. As you sow into children and build character in them and point them in the way of Jesus, you know, as, as you do that, you're joining in with God's work irrespective of what the results might turn out to be. Don't fall into the impact trap. Just because you can't see what's happening and just because there's not a queue of people saying, oh, that's marvelous what you're up to, doesn't mean you're not doing God's work in this world. The second trap I think we can fall into is what I call the secularization trap, the trap of secularization. You know, we live in a world that um, was built um, in the West on a kind of Christian foundation, Christian values. And so that means that it, um, people have a kind of vision of the kingdom in their hearts. You know, the Labour Party, which is not Christian, their, low, uh, their kind of phrase at the last election was for the many and not for the few. That's a kingdom vision lo- um, slogan. Like, because we've been shaped by the forces of Christianity in this world. And that means that a lot of people, I'd say maybe even most people, will be working in this world to try and make it a better place. And the danger then is we think, oh, well, it, that's just what everyone does. It's not a spiritual thing. It's just it's secular stuff. It's world stuff, right? And like, why would God have any interest in that? He's interested in the, the church bits or the ministry bits and the, the kind of like prayer, worship, healing, telling people about Jesus stuff. Why would he be interested in, in this? This is just what everyone does. Um, and the thing is, this is God's work. He is interested in it. He cares about what you get up to. You know, he cares about the culture in your workplace. He, he cares about you know, the, what you're doing when you're cleaning the loos. He's interested in it because it's his work. In fact, he cares about it more than you do. And so don't think that he's disinterested. Don't think you're just doing what everyone does. You're doing God's work. Seek him in it. Pray for him in it. Pray for him and ask him to help you and give you wisdom as you're kind of approaching things during the day. Like, start your day by just lifting your work up to him. It's not secular stuff. It's God's stuff. Ask him to kind of guide you in joining in with his work as you go about whatever it is you're laying your hand to, be it parenting, administration, teaching, gardening, cleaning, whatever it is. Seek him. You are not just doing work. You are doing God's work. I think Jesus wants to open our eyes and show every single one of us and commission every single one of us to, to kind of grab back hold of that vision that we're not just people, we're those made in his image. We're those who he has commissioned to do his work in the world with the whole of our week. I wonder if we might just pray together. Should we... Should we stand if you're able? If you're not, feel free to stay seating. That's absolutely fine. It's not special to stand, but... Let's just pray now. Maybe um, you'd want to kind of um, almost symbolically put your hands out in front of you. It's not particularly spiritual, but sometimes when we do something with our bodies, it just helps us kind of engage with with God um, in a more open way than if we sort of cross our arms. Um, Let me pray. Holy Spirit, I pray you come now. 
I pray you fill us, your people, in this place. I pray you fill us right now with purpose, with vision, with your spirit. We need you, Lord. Let's just take a a while to just wait on God and to just allow him to fill us and commission us for his work in the world. Call to your mind's eye now, whatever it is that, you know, it might be multiple things, that's your work in the world. And as you do that, just invite Jesus into it. I feel like he's, it's almost like he's rebranding it. He's just writing the word spiritual stuff over it. Spirit, just stay in this place of prayer. since there's some people in, as I was speaking about the impact trap, that just really feels like you. Um, that you don't feel, it kind of, you're like, well, I'm a bit pointless really. And I, I feel like God just wants to meet particularly with you right now. I feel like he's saying, I see what you do. I see it. And I am applauding. <laughs> 